message as short as your drive to work. TheSpeakingDeacon.com Good morning, Father. Uh, get me out of the way that your truth would be lifted up and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the saints in this room would understand and obey. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Before we get into all of this, I just feel the need to say that it's not about where we've been, it's about where we're going. So, whatever burdens, whatever guilt that the enemy might be challenging you with, don't sweat it, because Jesus died for that. Every bad thing you did even yesterday, Jesus died for that. It's not about where you've been, it's about where you're going. And so this whole message is about living for Jesus. We just finished up a whole series on who Jesus was, and they're slowly getting online so you can uh, hear them at your convenience. But this whole sermon is about living a Jesus or Christ-centered life. And so it's the, the pesky thing about the Bible, the pesky thing about the Scripture, is that it knows all your stuff. It's into all your business. You can't escape Jesus. He wants to know every thought in your head. He knows what it is. He knows if it's bad. He knows if it's good. Starting to sound like Santa Claus, right? Well, Santa borrowed it from Jesus. Okay, And he's very intrusive on all of that. And he wants to dig. I'll tell you, if Jesus could come to your house, he'd do what he did to everyone else. He went to their closet. What you got in here? I see. Sin here, sin here. What you doing? Oh, you like this sin? Oh, let's talk about it. No! Right? That's Jesus. He's very, very intrusive. But the difference is, he's not there to condemn all right? It's your it's your friends, it's your family, it's your neighbors, it's the lost, it's the devil. All them want to condemn you all day long. You went to church? Really? You went to church? Why did you go to church? Right? Didn't you just do such and such last week? Right? Why are you even here? Right? And the lost and the the rest of the world will not understand. Listen, there's just something about this Jesus. I can't help it. There's something about this Jesus. It's not religion, but there's something about this Jesus who keeps bugging me, keeps calling me, keeps pulling on me. That's a good sign. If you're experiencing that, I want you to have hope. And that's what this message, this is what these Bible verses are going to unpack today. Now, on my fancy, fancy bulletins... I left plenty of space to take notes. That's a hint. So, a Christ-centered life. And I like that 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have Christ's mind. What, what does that mean? I certainly am not... Uh, connected to Christ in the sense that I don't, I'm not Christ, and, uh, but I do have a good idea of what he's commanding me to do, right? And that's what it means. Not mysticism, not hocus-pocus, but here we go. But I want to start with a story that's found in John chapter 10, 
where the Jews and the religious leaders are gathered around Jesus. And they corner him, and they're like, look, Jesus, are you, are you the Christ? Are you truly the Son of God? Tell us plainly. And let's look at this. Uh, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. And he says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, before I get too deep in this, I want to unpack this. Even with the evidences, and we're going to talk about the evidences, you all know people who do not care. They don't care what the scripture says. They don't care what Jesus is about to tell them. Just like when Jesus was talking to the religious leaders and he's going to be objective with them. He's going to be objective. I'll give you evidences of that, that I am the Son of God. I will show you that I am the Son of God. Whatever, dude, is what they're going to say. But before I do that, I want to emphasize this promise. Well, two things. One is... I can even remember, not because of me, because I'm a sinner and I deserve hell, just in case you think I'm trying to float my own boat. But I remember even as a first grader on a bus, driving home from school, riding home from school, not driving, and I'm thinking, boy, wouldn't it be neat to, to read the Bible? I just had this urge to read the Bible. Now, this is coming from a nominal Catholic family, meaning we went to church Christmas and Easter and any other special occasion, and I just had this urge... What's that book say? First grader, right? I'm usually thinking I'm going to eat ice cream and watch cartoons. Yes. I still do that, but that's not the point. (laughs) And I get home and there on the table. Now, this was a GCC moment. You all remember what a GCC is? God's cool coincidence. Right? You've all had some God cool coincidences in your life. I'm sure you have. Where it's like, we were just talking about, we were just thinking about that. I was just praying that he would be here today, and there he was, right? So those GCCs, God's doing his thing, right? Sometimes we take them for granted. Other people just want to call them, that's a coincidence, regardless. And I get home, and there on the table, literally, was the biggest golden Bible, golden, that you know I forgot we had. See, Catholics up in Maine like to buy a family Bible. It's an heirloom thing. And you pay hundreds of dollars and you make payments on it. And this thing is about this thick and this big and it's got big pictures in it and it's got lots of extra words in it and it's always in King James and it's just, it's there. And it even has, I don't know, half of the Catholic catechism in it, right? It is a beast. And so I went, whoa! What a coincidence. And I go over, I'm going to start to read it. First grader, right? What's my attention spans that of a, of a pigeon, right? And I flip it open, and in the beginning, all right, that was it. End of story. But that was just the first of many times where I knew 
Not, just like we know certain things that there's more to this life than just doing the grind and just looking for pleasures. There's more to it. And I'm just telling you, this is what I'm talking about. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So now as a 16, an 18-year-old, I'm working for a liberal college doing food service and I'm seeing at that time, I thought we were anciently old people, 40-year-olds, right? That's scary. 40-year-olds, I thought they were old and has-beens. And there they are doing food service for seven bucks an hour, right? And the boss tells them, you've got to work later. And I'd watched grown women at 40 years old just have an emotional breakdown. I've got to work later. I just want to go home and watch my TV show. I'm like, I'm like I don't want to work here. This stinks! <laughs> so which leads me to my, one of my big prayers. I go out in the woods. Man's got a lot of prickly bushes and raspberry bushes. And I get this stick. And I'm like, this life sucks! I'm beating those things and ripping them down. My hands are getting all bloody. It's like, if this is what life's about, God, this sucks, right? And I was mad. And if you're so real, if there's a purpose, you better show yourself to me right now because this is miserable. And I had that figured out at 18. My goodness, what is this? This is life? Uh-uh. Wasn't having nothing to do with it. That's my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What I didn't have, even at 18, was an open Bible. No one said, hey, you know all those crazy things that you're suspecting about the loving God of the universe? (laughs) Yeah! It's in that book that you've never opened, you loser. Open the book! Right? See what's in there. Alright? Just some anecdotal stories for you. But look what he says here. I give them. It doesn't say, and we earnestly earn it. It says, Jesus says, I give them eternal life. How long does eternal life last? Just want to remind you all. How long does eternal life last? Forever. Can you lose eternal life? No, because by definition, it wouldn't be eternal life, right? It would be temporal conditional life if you could lose it. So if Jesus gives you eternal life, you can't mess up enough to lose it. You can't. And on the flip side, you don't know how evil you are to think that you could lose it. Because if you think, oh, I messed up, I'm bad, you have no idea how bad you really are, and eternal life is still from Jesus. And they will never perish. They will never perish. Eternal life and they will never perish. Well, does that mean possibly they could perish if they have eternal life in Jesus that He gave to them? No. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of My hand, Jesus says. I love this part now. Check this out. It gets even cooler. Jesus also says, My Father who has given them to Me. Now vision this. God the Father tells God the Son, I'm going to send you to earth. You're going to be the perfect human, and then I'm going to punish you as if you were the worst human, and you're going to pay for the sins of these people. I'm going to give you a people from that earth. Where everybody hates me, I'm going to give a people to you. That's exactly what it says. My Father who has given them to me. You are a gift from God the Father to God the Son. You are a gift from God the Father to God the Son. What do you think of that? How is that? 
Now look about this gift. Remember, you're in Jesus' hand with eternal life that can never perish. And Jesus is in God's hand, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So Jesus grabs you? God grabs you and Jesus? No. Not even your own stupid sin can stop you from God loving you and taking you to heaven. That's how your day should start. That's how you should go, I like that. Hmm, what should I do today now that I'm alive? Right? And then Jesus says this, and this threw a monkey wrench in the whole thing. I and the Father are one. (gasps) Now the religious leaders, they're not impressed. And back then, they wouldn't just do like nowadays where they might just do a, a YouTube post and, and you know, well, this Jesus says he's one with the Father and we don't like that. No, back then it was serious business. Your religion was a life or death issue. Right now in China, still going on, the communist government, which is one step away from socialism, which is also bad and evil and demonic, um, right now they're going through and they're chopping the crosses off all the churches in a certain area because they're too prominent. So even when they're there, they, 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 and they make a big show out of it. They build scaffoldings. They go right to the top of these big churches and they don't like dismantle it and carry it down and say, here you go, you can't have it on there. They go up there with chainsaws and they're like, Man! and then they watch it tumble off the building in drama. They're doing that right now in China because the government is afraid of the Christians and what it's teaching people. Okay? A lot of this. But back then, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So the Jews picked up stones to stone him. So if you mess up and you say something blasphemous, like right nowadays, you can't watch a movie without a blasphemy. But back then, if you blasphemy, there were men there ready to send you into eternity with a rock. All right? That was serious business. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Alright? Now, we're going to look at this in a moment here, but... It's not the objective good works. The miracles is what we're talking about here. The Jewish Jewish religious leaders saw the miracles and didn't care. It's not about objective evidence when you're a God-hater. That's why science today, they they can look at a car and say, man made that, then they look at a tree and say, big cosmic accident. Even though the tree's got nanotechnology and can take energy from the sun and turn it into food. What a coincidence! But that car, design purpose, that tree, no design, no purpose. Well, it just seems to have design and purpose, but we're too smart to believe God made it, right? Did I get carried off? Here we go. So Jesus gives them objective evidence. Jesus answered them first, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture could not be broken, that's where you're like, wait a minute, where in the Bible does God call human beings gods, small g? 
Psalm 82. It's a psalm of David. And David, it's this psalm is God having like a meeting with all the leaders of the world, right? And they're asking the leaders, why are you going to, how much longer are you going to show injustice? And how much longer are you going to stop being a just leader? And then towards the end of it, God just simply says, I say, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. That's what Jesus was quoting when he said that. So Jesus is trying to say to them, first of all, even the scripture says, well, humans are called like little gods, right? Because we're sons of the Most High God. And then Jesus goes on to say, I'm now jumping back to the story. Do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Now let's take, talk about this objective thing here for a moment. <clears throat> but, um, even if you, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Okay, Jesus is trying to say, look at the evidence of the miracles. Now, there's people who, who don't believe the Bible at all. And they don't believe that the, the Bible where Jesus has all his miracles, right? They, people added them later on to make this mythical Jesus. They added that later. But even in this story, which then wouldn't make any sense if it was all made up by humans... But even in the story, Jesus is saying, look at the miracles. If you don't believe me objectively, scientifically, look at the evidence. And that will point you to understand that the Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. And they'd have nothing to do with it, right? Well, what are some of these miracles? Let's objectively look at a small list of these miracles. And I'm going to just be quick about them. Jesus changed water into wine. We're all familiar with that one. He cured a nobleman's son. He great haul of fish when he was getting his disciples. He cast out unclean spirits. Uh, Mother-in-law of Peter had a fever. He boop, zipped that out. Healed a leper. Healed the centurion's servant. He wasn't even there. He just the, remember the centurion said, "Hey, I know how to take orders. You just say the word, and I know my servant way down there will be healed." Jesus says, "Good," and he was healed. The widow's son, raised from the dead, stilled the storm. Two demoniacs, a paralytic, Jesus healed them. But wait, there's more. Raised the ruler's son from the dead. Now we have two resurrections so far. Two. A woman with an issue of blood. Two blind men healed. One, uh, blind, uh, one man who couldn't speak. Excuse me. Invalid man at the pool of Bethesda. And then here's a kicker. Why I highlighted this one is Jesus restored a withered hand. So Jesus is at church, the Jewish church, which is on a Saturday. And Jesus, with this one, there's a guy there and his hand's all shriveled up. And Jesus says to them, hey, 
is it lawful to work on a Sunday? No, you can't work on a, or a Saturday in that case. You can't work on the Sabbath. That's bad. Right? And Jesus said, even if it's for good? Yeah. Well, actually, they were afraid to say anything. So Jesus takes this man with the withered hand and says, okay, you're healed. Bling! Guy's hand comes back. They should have all, wow, they should have worshipped, they should have celebrated, they should, wow, Jesus is awesome. Instead they said, you worked! You worked on the Sabbath! They didn't deny the miracle, but they, got, they hated him so much, they didn't care what he did, when he did it, they would not worship him. Their hearts are that hard. Okay? That's why Bill Nye the science guy can't see Jesus in science. He can't see God. It doesn't matter what Jesus does. He's not listening. He's not his sheep. It does not matter what objective truth you put in front of him. They will always rebel. Jesus cured a demon-possessed man. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Heals a woman in Canaan. A deaf and mute man's healed. 4,000 people he fed. Another blind man. Plague of demons. Or boy, that was plagued by demons. And another blind man. But wait, there's more. Cured a woman who had been afflicted for 18 years. Cured a man of dropsy. Cured 10 lepers. Another resurrection from the dead. Three now. This one was very public. Because it was his friend, he actually waited for his friend to die so that he could go to town and raise him up in front of everybody. Not only was he dead, he was dead for four days. And he was like, don't move the stone away, remember, in the old King James, because he stinketh. Remember, this is this guy. Okay? Four days. So this was a big thing. And this was kicking off to Jesus' Passion Week, too. Jesus uh, heals two blind men, curses the, the fig tree, and restores the ear of the high priest. Remember when they come to get Jesus, Peter grabs a sword, Hi-ya! chops a guy's ear off. Jesus says, enough of that, enough of that. No, this is my time. Here, put that back on. Heals him in his own arresting, and they don't care. They don't care what miracle Jesus does. They're not going to follow him. And then, of course, you know, that pesky Jesus himself rising from the dead Easter thing, which is why this is it. This is the pinnacle of why we're Christians, right? And then, of course, there was another hall of fish. If you remember where Jesus goes back to Peter and them and says, put your nets out. This is the resurrected Christ. And they all put their nets out. Oh, wait a minute. We remember this story. And then that's the Lord. Whoa. All right. Cool stuff. But John 10.27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, nowhere in this does it say, I call out and invite, and they all hear me, but some don't want me. It doesn't say that, does it? That's not the Christian message. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's no suggestions, options, variables, questions. Contra- There's a contract. It's called a covenant, right? <laughs> the, uh, but the big key here is, I almost should have put that slide up again from last week where I put the great command out on a PowerPoint and on, on Facebook and a friend wrote back saying commands 
are still meant to be obeyed or not obeyed. And it was so illogical because no, a command by definition is to be obeyed, period. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. All right? We're almost done. You're all doing great. Thank you. So now we come to Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Why do you think, he wrote that, Paul wrote that, understand what the will of the Lord is. Why did he write that? I'll make it simple, because we can know what the will of the Lord is. It is not magical, it is not mystical, it is not getting up in the morning and show me a sign, Lord, if you want me to witness to you today, then have an eagle fly by my window and drop a Bible, because that happens all the time, and then I will know to follow you today. Right? That's creepy, weird stuff. We have this command from Jesus called the Great Commission. The Great Commission says, go make disciples. So when you wake up in the morning, what should I do today? Go make disciples. Yeah, but I'm not very comfortable talking to people. Grow up. Go make disciples. Grow up. It's scary. Do it. Yeah, but maybe I want you to, uh, this, the preacher on TV said I should just be working about getting more money. <laughs> no. Jesus said, go make disciples. That's how you love one another, right? Even the president says, oh, if you love like Jesus loves, right? The president uses that excuse for push every sin on us, right? Because Jesus wants us to love them. How do we love people? We go make disciples. But that means we give them the Word of God and they might be offended by it. Yep, that's exactly what it means. Christ-centered life. Spiritually, is it pushing you? Does Jesus dictate how you have a relationship with people? How you experience your emotions? Your, wealth and, your health and wellness even? Your finances? And your profession, whether it's a ministry or whether it's a job, is Jesus why you're going to do something that day? So when you get up in the morning, is his commandments the, the compass that pushes you into something? <clears throat> Does this look familiar? If I go to your house, could I write that on your Bible with that medium called dust? Okay? I hope not. This is mine. This is my thing. And actually, this does universally apply to all the men in this room. Ladies, you can twist it. But for me, being a Christ-centered life, meaning Jesus is the boss, you get up in the morning, okay, boss, I'm drinking my coffee, I'm getting some Bible in my brain, what do you want? Right? Well, some things are true all the time. So 
the day has to be arranged. My actions and activities have to be arranged. And this is how I do it to help me remember. And this is good for guys. Everything I do is because of Jesus. It has to be. Everything. It's not me. It's not Jeff saying, yeah, look at me. Everything I do is for Jesus. No. It's a necessity. And so the way I unpack it, and the, even this statement is in logical order, I'm to provide a quality attention, appropriate time, and material. ATM, you know, ATM machine, right? That's, help, that's my little brain connector to help me remember. Material means house, clothing, food, money, the things that need among these for wife first, for children next, and then for ministry. Because I won't be allowed to minister to you if I'm not doing this correctly here. So there's a logical order to this. So that's the compass. You get up, you read your Bible. Knowing for you men, you might not have a wife and children yet. What's that leave? For all you single guys and ladies, what's that leave? Yeah, you got a job. There's a job in there. That's how you're going to provide. But, whoa, doesn't that make things pretty simple? Attention, time, and material. If I don't have to worry about a close family, oh, well, my, then my closest family is the church. And I better go get involved. And I've got to go see what I can give and how I can give it to encourage others to know Jesus. Right? It's pretty simple. And isn't it the simple stuff that's pesky? So as we wrap up, um, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I want to pause. This is not how to go to heaven. There's lost people that are going to try to do good things and religious things and they're never going to heaven. This is not what you do to go to heaven. This is what people who are going to heaven do. This is what people who are already going to heaven do. Do you got it? If you're doing this so you will go to heaven, you've already failed. You need to ask Jesus Christ to save you from hell, from your own sin, and from the wrath and justice of God. That's the only way you're getting to heaven. Nothing else. You can put nothing on the table but your sin. For the Christian, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Save people go... Use me, Lord, I am yours. I am your living sacrifice. Got it? Do not conform to this world. It's getting pretty crazy. (laughs) But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. There's that will of God again. What is good and acceptable and Perfect, which is the will of God. How can we know the will of God? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. So let's look at this Christ-centered life again. How is Jesus commanding you to, to react towards your family? How is Jesus commanding you on your relationships at work and how you should work? How is Jesus commanding you 
Anyone get the subtle hint there? For church, or the local community, or your education, or your playtime. How is Jesus commanding you? I'll, I'll pick on playtime. There, are, Like I said, I watch cartoons. That's because I can't watch half the shows out there. They're so blasphemous, so evil, I can't do it. Right? Because I can only hear someone blaspheme Jesus' name once, and that shows on the poopy list. Boop! No more watch you show. Bad show. Right? 1 Peter 1.13, this is it. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Now let me encourage you something. To not be conformed and to be holy is the same thing. Holy is not a mystical magic thing like, okay, I'll be holy today. That's not how it works. It just means being set apart. The world's going to get up and they're going to say and do stupid things and march on their way. And you're to be different. That's what to be holy means. Don't do what they're doing. It's bad. And we close with that again. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. It doesn't say, I hope you start to be holy. You are to be holy in all your conduct. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clear teaching from your word. And I please, Holy Spirit, Father God, Lord King Jesus, that first, if someone here does not know you as Savior, saving them from their wretched, sinful life, that they even today would turn from that and ask you, to save them from their evil. For the saints in this room, that, Father, that there would be a renewed passion and hunger to love you and obey you. That all the saints would stay faithful to the church because the church is your bride. And that we would live a life of worship because you saved us. What freedom is that? Thank you, Heavenly Father. Be glorified, Jesus. Amen. From Bibles websites to theology, apps to blogs, there are so many fantastic resources for Christians. Get the latest news and reviews on what is out there to help you grow in Christ. The Speakin Deacon.com. Truth is here.